scary girl. Hi, everybody. Hey, everyone. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Sarah. And this is Dead Time Stories. A weekly podcast where Sarah and I get together to talk about ghost stories, true crime, mysteries, cults, conspiracies, the supernatural, paranormal, or even just the generally weird, eerie, spooky, strange stuff that we want to talk about that week. Why is that, Sarah? Because it's our show and and not yours. That was beautiful. We're getting better and better. If it's your first time listening to the podcast, (laughs) stop. Go Go back back. to the beginning. Listen from the beginning. Episode one. Grumble through through my my mouth. mouth a little bit. Yeah, man. Uh, The other day, Charlie and I were doing something and he, I said, stop. And he went, go back, go to, back the to the beginning. Girl with her right now. Yeah. And I was like, we're culturally I, relevant. I love you so much. He listens. That's he listens beautiful. every week, like on time. Val's caught up, I think, at this Aww. point. Val listens. Look at him. Val like went through it the other day because every now and then I'll be talking about something. And they'll be like, I know. I heard it on your podcast. And I'll be like, oh, okay. Wow. Okay. Well, rude. Charlie's so great. He'll usually text me. Like after I did Waco, he was like, that was so good, babe. You did such a good job. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> it's so nice. Thanks, Charlie. Good supportive partners. Well, you didn't have stories that week. <laughs> Charlie's never told me what a good job I did. Oh, he will. He'll text you after this episode. <laughs> Thanks, Charlie. I hope so. I'm, I'm doing this one by myself. <laughs> Charlie, text Stephanie. Uh, hey, everyone. Hey, everyone else. What have you been up Is to this week, me? Sarah? <laughs> um. Uh-huh. Basically hermiting. I've just, I've been telling everyone, Charlie and I, we're just hermiting for January and probably February too. We're just, it's cold here. It gets dark by 430. I just want, I'm getting HelloFresh every week. All I want to do is just stay in my house, watch a whole bunch of TV. I have a whole bunch of things to read. That's it. Don't talk to me. I'm in comfy clothes. Even more, I keep being like, I don't need to live in the city. I could live wherever because I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. I'm just staying in my house all the time. I'd rather have a bigger house. And get out of the city. But I love being in the city. You know what? I'm going to put out because this is coming out in a few weeks. I'm finally feeling ready to get a dog. And I'm thinking that also with us hermiting, it's the perfect time. So I, I think love that for you. maybe around this time, real time in life, we might have a new fur baby. Ooh. I mean, well, and that's, you know, we got church at the beginning of the pandemic. It was yeah. literally like we got church and like three days later, like the shutdown was announced. Like everything Ugh. was being shut down. And we're like, well. It's a good time that we just got a new pet because now we're going to be home to acclimate this new pet. Yeah. And that's what happens. I'm ready. I you told know, Charlie. I, I wish you the best of luck. I wish you Thank blessings you. on this journey and in, in expanding your family. What were you going to say you told Charlie? Uh, I told him now's the time to do it because we're not going away until the both of us at the same time until June. Yeah. So like so this is the perfect time to, to acclimate, acclimate a new, a new, a new dog. And it's finally the first time that I think I feel ready to actually, we'll see what happens when I meet the dog because I have to remind myself it's not Snoopy. And so I can't put the preconceived notion, the expectation of why aren't you Snoopy? Why aren't you another dog? That even, I mean, we have both of our cats and sometimes I'm like, why aren't you like the other cat? Yeah. For whatever reason. Right. Like Xander, you, I mean, you know, Xander, like Xander is aggressively affectionate. Like he wants to be on you. He wants to be held like a little baby. Oh, he's such a babe. Like Xander wants to be on you. And Church is affectionate, but she's not like that. Like she doesn't want to be held. She doesn't like you to pick her up and put her like on your lap. She's like, I'll tell you. And she likes to be petted and she likes to be around, but she really doesn't want to be 
held like, and grabbed. she doesn't want to be like sque- like xander will have you squeeze oh him, yeah xander right? loves a big and squeeze. she's not into that and i i'm just like she's a different cat <laughs> and she's got her own personality and i love her and she's just different she's just a different cat so i can't expect her to have the same personality as the other cat they're two yep. different beings they are and I, that's what i keep reminding myself it's not gonna be snoopy gonna be a different dog and that's good right exactly i was like they're all special and have their own personality and that's good i just want snoopy back (laughs) i know i know it's been two years but it's not enough time i don't know listeners you know if you start at the beginning you'll know how important snoopy was to this podcast oh both them babies little memes both those babes our children that's about it just adding more kids and hermiting you know, I think that's what you do is you we're get officially older. You in go domestic life and you collect animals. <laughs> some people get babies. Some I collect get fur baby. Like, you know, you collect living things, animals and plants. Yeah, You get older and you collect stuff in your house and you go, God, I got, I'm responsible for this now. I got to water that. It's the cat and the plant. <laughs> and the I got to water, I gotta water the baby. <laughs> Babies need, I don't know, water. Ba- like, do they just drink milk? I don't know. I don't I know don't how babies baby. work. I'll be honest. I'll be honest. I would assume they need, but they don't just drink water. I think they I mean, only they drink, just milk. drink milk, right? For a long time. Like yeah. you don't have to give them anything else. But if they don't drink milk, then you got to like, you got to like make it. This is a lot. This is, and this is all. I like, just want a dog. This is all just things that, like, I know. I guess from like TV, I've never had one, so I'm like, this is what I've learned from TV about babies. I mean, I have close friends who have had babies, I but know, I don't ask questions. I know people who have babies. <laughs> I don't ask like, how, how do you feed it? How do you feed it? What's that like? What's that routine for you? Is it just your boob? Is that it? That's it, right? It's just your boob. Is that right? exhausting? So, like, that's got to be on like on tap all the time gotta be a lot isn't that a scary story that's scary and then they start to grow teeth and then they start walking and then they start getting into your stuff and then they try to kill you in your sleep and then they take all your money and then you yeah and i guess you're supposed to love them we're definitely gonna have kids one day (laughs) well i told you we're so motherly when we learned about church having to get her teeth taken out and we were just talking about like the money and I was like, is this what it feels like when you're like, your kid has to get braces? You're like, I can't afford that. But like you, the you doctor said you it. need it. Like they said you have to have it and I can't afford it. But I guess, I don't know. I'm going to tell them to do it, but I don't know how I'm going to pay them. Like that's where we're at. But you know, she's a cat and now she has no teeth. I want to go back to when I didn't have to pay bills. And I do don't this. because I, you know, because then there's just the trauma of parents <laughs> there's a part of me that thinks back to and this is me being like we're not gonna banter we're gonna jump right into our stories there's a part of me that thinks back to when I was in college and I think about how much money I was making then and I was still surviving and I was doing just fine but I had way less bills sure I want to go back to then mm. but I want to be making the amount of money that I'm making now yeah <laughs> sure yeah, 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 yeah. I want to go back to when my rent was $350. I want to have the cost of living adjustments I have now that are still inadequate. But I want to go back to when the cost of living was significantly was lower. <laughs> but I want to keep. But I want to keep the cost of living adjustment that I have. Yes. And then, but I want it to go further than it does. 
is that is what I'm getting is at? Is that too much to ask for? Oh, Apparently. Man. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Stephanie. Hey, Leslie. Y'all ready to talk about some ghosts? Y'all ready to talk about some ghosts? Stephanie, what are you regaling us with this week? Do you like that? I'm excited. So, one more time, we're going to talk about cults. (laughs) This is the year of cults. It is. I am actually going to revisit something I have talked about in the past. Is it Nexium? It is Nexium. How did I know? (laughs) I might have been texting you about it recently. I don't know if you were texting me or if when I was doing research on Gwen Shamblin, some notification popped up about About the vow thing. It was like, you you want to pick back up from watching the vow? No, it was some news article where it was like some new thing, Nexium. And I was like, oh, scroll past. (laughs) (laughs) That's not my topic. Scroll past. That's not me. That's Stephanie. That's not me. That's Stephanie. So there really haven't been any new developments in in the case with Nexium, but I've never stopped being fascinated by it. And I just know that I don't, it's not I just know, I feel like there was just so much to talk about that it was really impossible for me to talk about it when I talked about it before. So it was episode 129, if you're wow. curious, if you're coming along with the ride. Uh, it's called A Textbook Case of Vampire, because in the first part of the episode, Sarah talked about a vampire. And the second part of the episode, I talked a little bit about Nexium. And I say a little bit because like, it's the normal amount I would talk about something. It's half an episode. But I even said at the time, like there is just so much information on Nexium. There's so much that happened there. There are so many things to the point where I know I talked about Keith Raniere being sentenced to 121 years, 120 years in jail. Yeah. That's obviously a ton of time. So like, I want to really dive deep into like what, what he was convicted of the things that were happening inside of the group, the, the, number of women who were really like manipulated by this man and how he did that for so long and then wrapping that all up with because we've talked so much about cult so it's really funny that you also talked about a cult last week um got culty brain but just kind of culminating in talking about like what is a cult and like what are the things that we can look out for because I used to think I love it. Let's make a checklist. Right. <laughs> because signs you might be in a cult. I think when like more now these days, because we have a lot more there there are so many documentaries on cults now. Like cults are a big thing that we talk about now. Talk about these days. So there's a little more understanding, but still not enough. But I think in the past, like cults have kind of been laughable. Like it was almost like like somebody had to be really stupid. Like that's kind of how the culture how people thought about them that has never been the case but i think that it's been oversimplified a lot in the past and people are like oh how did so and so not know they were a member of a cult how did they not just leave whatever i feel like you can equate it very easily to the modern day multi-level marketing like how did you not know that you were in a pyramid scheme right. how did you not know that you were in a cult well it's really easy to not know when you're in it sure as opposed to when you're on the outside looking and in. And you know, of course, that Nexium doubled down on that because yeah. Nexium's legitimate side was that it was, was an MLM. Well, that I was will- their like regular, like <laughs> public facing storyline. Was that I would they were argue just an MLM? That Lulu Row is the same. Yeah. Lulu Row starts as 
customer facing MLM, but now it's got weird Mormon undertones. Yeah. So, uh, like I said, the last time I talked about Nexium, like I touched on some of the things because there was just so much information. Um, but I have just so many more things that I know that I've come to learn. I've also revisited it. I've rewatched all of the documentaries about it. So, of course, The Vow is the big one. That's the series that's on HBO. But if you also have access to stars, the other one that I would really recommend as the follow-up is Seduced. Ooh. <laughs> that's the name of that one. And that one talks about India Oxenberg. And we're going to talk about who that is and why that's important. Is that his Ghislaine? His Ghislaine? No, that was Allison Mack. Oh, okay. Allison Mack and, I mean, Lauren Saltzman. Like, we're going to get into stuff even deeper than we did last time. Because last time I just kind of, like, named some names. Okay. But there's a lot that happened there. So let's get into it. <laughs> so the main guy from Nexium, the person that you need to know, the guy who's serving 120 years in prison, his name is Keith Ranieri. Keith Allen Ranieri. Allen is his middle name. And Should be Elizabeth. <laughs> Keith, Keith Elizabeth, Elizabeth Ranieri. Ranieri. So Keith Ranieri, he was from New York. Or he is from New York. I mean, he's still alive. He's just in prison for the rest he's dead to us he's dead to us but he was born in new york and he um you know grew up there his dad was a guy named james ranieri his mom was a woman named vera ospichko i'm not sure that i'm saying it right but that's how we're saying it we're gonna go with that. uh and she was a ballroom dancing instructor his dad was an advertising executive right so his hmm. dad's like making money his mom's dancing whatever and his mother had an alcohol problem uh-oh. Now, she died when he was young. Like, he was, like, a, a teenager. He was born in 1960. His mom died in 78. So he was, like, 18 when his mom died. Okay? But she um, she was an alcoholic. She had, you know, a number of issues. But he grew up kind of seeing that, and he developed a really, like, horrible, horrible view of women that wasn't really made public until these things about like Nexium until the branding came out, right? Until the branding, girl. <laughs> so far down the line. But anyway, so his parents separated when he was a kid and he was growing up with his mother who was an alcoholic. So he graduated high school before he turned 18. He was considered like really brilliant. He took um so like he was a pianist when he was a kid. He took some uh, supposed IQ test that they get into a little more in the vow, but it's an IQ test that like this journalist like I've never fucking heard of. I remember you talking about that. Right. Ugh. But when he was 13, it was listed in the Guinness Book of World Records. It's in 19. I'm trying to think of what year it was because it was when he was a little bit older. It was like 1989, but it's like only <laughs> like only the Australian printing and only that one year probably because the people at Guinness were like I don't think that's a real thing we should get that out but like listed as him being like super brilliant now that's super important because his mother and I mentioned this previously too his mother had said that like once he got that news that he was like you know some prodigy it changed because he everything. tested really high on some standardized test on some racist standardized test um right that it changed him that he felt like he was like better than other people what he didn't realize was it was for the guinness book of world records spelled with one s <laughs> so it wasn't the real one so it wasn't the real one so so that was kind of his thing right so he really believed himself to be like this 
like brilliant superstar. And I wouldn't say that was really perpetuated by his parents. Like they were like, yeah, you're smart. Like you're kind of special. And then that just like went to his head and he was like, got it. I'm really special. I'm better than everybody else on it. So (laughs) that's it. So moving on from there, he did a number of different MLMs in the late 80s and early 90s before he started Nexium. Scam way. <laughs> Scam way. Um, what's, he, the, what's the knife one? Vector marketing. Uh, so he was involved with Amway for a little bit in the 80s. <laughs> was I wrong? <laughs> so he was fascinated by Amway, Scientology, neurolinguistic programming, Uh, And he basically was, like, kind of giving the idea. He had this idea that, like, the brain was like a computer. Like, the brain was a supercomputer. And you could learn how to expand the brain. Like, you could add memory to a computer, whatever. Oh, my gosh. This is, like, a theory. But these are all... All of these ideas are things that, like, he kind of borrowed from other things. Because that's what people do, right? They make up their own nonsense. I was like, it sounds very Scientology-ish. So by 1990, he had founded his own MLM. It was called Consumers Byline. And it was at, like, a pitch for this that he met one of who would be (laughs) many financial victims in his life, Tony Natale. Uh, She subsequently became one of the top sellers in the organization, and uh, right up with her at the time, husband, her and her son ended up moving to Clifton Park. So we're going to talk. We're going to mention Clifton Park a lot because it's a big deal. They moved to Clifton Park, New York, to be near Rainieri. It's outside of Albany. And her marriage ended shortly after that. And she started dating Rainieri. But as with every woman, the majority of women that he dated, it was a big secret. Like he told her that she couldn't tell anybody. Of course. Um, that's not a red flag. For her, primarily, too. So he he used women's own, like, the things that they were self-conscious about to, like, put them in their place. So for Tony, she had never finished high school. So his big thing was, like, well, I'm this, like, big intellectual. Like, what would people think of, like, me being with you when you've never finished school? Like, we can't tell anybody. Like, people won't take me seriously. Like... Like it was a detriment. God. So that was part of like how he kept her in her place. And like, they didn't talk about that relationship. Like that was a secret. So ultimately, um, consumers byline incorporated also known as CBI, their operations were restricted in 1993 after they were investigated. (laughs) New York state filed a lawsuit alleging that it was pyramid scheme. Oh no. And CBI was permanently shut down in September of 1996 by the attorney general of New York after being investigated by 25 states, 25 different states. Half the country. Shut it down. And he signed a consent order permanently barring him. This is important from promoting offering or granting participation in a chain distribution scheme and ordering him to pay a $40,000 fine. That's it. The $40,000 fine is no big deal, but but the part where he was permanently banned from, like, promoting anything like this, that's important, right? Because okay. what about Nexium, right? Obviously, he got some woman to be the front for it. There you go. Yeah. He didn't have any, like, official title with Nexium. They all referred to him as Vanguard, and we'll get back into that. Um, but he he wasn't, like, the CEO of Nexium, the founder of Nexium. You know what I mean? He didn't have any of those, like, real titles because legally he couldn't Mm -hmm. but that didn't keep him from starting it and like moving it forward 
So um, in 1994, he had a little time where he was trying to run like a vitamin racket. <laughs> that oh business failed God. in 1999. Um, and him and um, Natalie were... Or Natalie, it's Tony Natalie, not Natalie. Tony Natalie, they were operating like a health product store in the in the late 90s. So in 1998, Tony Natalie met Nancy Salzman. Nancy Salzman was a nurse and she was also trained in hypnosis. That's important. And neuro-linguistic programming. So Natalie recalled, Nancy said, you are so wonderful. How can I help you? So I did. Well, you can help me with my boyfriend, which her boyfriend was Keith Raniere at the mm -hmm. time. And he had this, these grandiose ideas. His hours were becoming erratic again. She listened and she said, oh, that's easy. I can help you. Your boyfriend's a sociopath. <laughs> they met and four days later, she came out with glazed eyes and gave me the, you don't know who he is. And I was like, wow, there goes another one. So she introduced her counselor, who was Nancy Salzman, who Nancy Salzman, just hearing descriptions of Keith Rainieri without meeting him, was like, yeah, it sounds like you're dating a sociopath. Like yeah. that guy's crazy. But then she met him and she was like, and he's he charmed great. her. Right. Damn. He charmed her the way he charmed women. And um, one of the things that like she said, Nancy had said in one of the promotional videos that you would see like early in Nexium was she was like, and Keith told me, like, if you want to work with me, you have to be prepared to work with me for the rest of your life. And I was like, OK, that's no, that's not good. Everything with Keith is like, you have to be committed to me. Ride or die. For the rest of your life. It's Ugh. all about me for the rest of your life. You have to make this commitment. Ugh. Yes. Makes me so sick. So also in 1998, Rainieri met Christine Marie Milankos. Uh, she was a recently divorced mother who had won the title of Mrs. Michigan in 1995. Oh, there it she is. She recalled that Rainieri explained how there was a profound event that would often happen to the women who became intimate with him. Sometimes they would even see a blue light. Stop. Ultimately, I agreed to be intimate with Keith, and it was just as he said, I even saw a blue light. But I don't think I told him so. I remember thinking, wow, my brain is really susceptible to the power of suggestion. And probably some drugs. Well, and the power of suggestion is hypnotism. Yeah. Which he which he's probably got learned from Nancy Salzman. Rainier and Salzman founded what was called executive success programs, oftentimes shortened as ESP. They'll call it ESP a lot. You'll hear um, some of the people in Nexium talk about espions. Espions are people who are like really into They're just ESP. really into sports. <laughs> ESPNs. Yes. So it was a personal development company right and it taught different techniques of self-improvement and a few years later um esp was rebranded as nexium and nexium is nxivm and that was when they started calling him vanguard which vanguard is like an 80s game that he used to play um but also he's really into ayn rand because of course he is because of course he right? is because he's a white man in capitalist america yes Ugh. So his relationship with Tony Natale ended in 1999. She later claimed to have been a victim of harassment. In January 20 or in January of 2003, federal judge Robert Littlefield implied Ranieri was using a legal suit to harass his former partner. This is a pattern with him. Um, is like once people, if people try to leave, like he'll just sue the ever-loving shit out of them. That's Scientology. 
Yes. And a lot of his money, we talked about this before, um, but a lot of his money comes from the Bromfmans. So that's Sarah and Claire Bromfman. Their father is the Edgar twins, Bromfman. Um, the they're not twins, but they are sisters. sisters. Yes. And their father is who owns um, Seagram's. So Seagram's like liquor, that's Seagram's yep. ginger ale. They hooked up with him like in early 2000s. That's when like they joined Nexium. But he has a habit of like befriending rich white women. Rich people. <laughs> right. Huh. Who um they're not always white. Sometimes they're Latina. Um, but mostly they're <laughs> they're white women. But it's women. But always women with a lot of money. Like heiresses are a big deal. He likes to bring in women with money. But that's who can support these litigations when he decides that like he's gonna go after somebody and try and ruin their life. Even if he knows it's not a lawsuit that he's gonna win. It's just like draining their resources by taking them to court repeatedly. Jeez. Even if he doesn't win, like they're going to spend so much yep. money and so many resources trying to fight them off. Um, and he has these endless resources. So that is how he goes after people. Wow. Uh, that's important. So he was trying to do that with Tony Natale. And this is like the first instance of that. But it keeps happening. And the judge wrote, this matter smacks of a jilted fellow's attempt at revenge or retaliation against his former girlfriend with many attempts at tripping her up along the way. So the judge recognized it as such. He's like, yeah. you're just trying to drive this woman crazy with a lot of lawsuits. So he's got the Bronfmans in his pocket. So they, I mean, these women are worth like, Seagram's Stupid is a multi-billion money. dollar company, right? So they're worth like hundreds of millions of dollars. So their pockets are are essentially like endless. So one of the the first things that like brought some attention to it was Edgar Bromfman. So their dad had actually taken a few classes with Nexium because he was, you know, he was curious about it. What are my girls talking about? After he took classes with them, he was like, yo, this is a cult. Edgar Bromfman was like, Nexium is a cult. That man is a cult leader. Like they're wild. And there was actually a Forbes article in 2003 about Keith Raniere. I, I'm still not really understanding kind of what their... They didn't seem to be saying he was a cult leader. Like, they had these quotes from Edgar Bronfman, but it was almost like, here's this radical business guy who's, like, new in the business world making money, Keith Raniere. And, like, he's so, like, out there, some people would say it's a cult. Oh, but you know what I mean? But yeah. not seriously, didn't but didn't really seem like they were seriously taking it as a cult. But they huh. did have the quote from Edgar Bronfman in there where he was saying it's a cult. Vanity Fair subsequently reported on the Forbes article's impact within the group. People at Nexium were stunned, expecting a positive story. The top ranks had spoken to Forbes, including Rainieri, Saltzman and Sarah Bronfman. What upset them above all were Edgar Bronfman's remarks. According to Vanity Fair, the article was a turning point in Rainieri's relationship with Edgar Bronfman. And that is a part of what happens with the Bronfman sisters is like now that that happened, he can convince them that they kind of have to like make up for the damage done by their father. Wow. Where he's like, well, you joined our group and now you've by you coming, you've brought this negative attention on us. How are you going to make it right? Wow. And the answer is by giving all their money. Oh right? My gosh. Yeah. So there's all that, right? <laughs> they, uh, at some point, to say they were endorsed by the Dalai Lama is like, they would say that they were endorsed by the, by the Dalai Lama. The Bronfman's 
put their money into like a nonprofit. I'm using like air quotes. Yeah. Um, that was like all about peace. And they really pushed to get the Dalai Lama to come to Albany. And Keith Rainieri just happened to be at their event where they got the Dalai Lama. So they got pictures of like the Dalai Lama and Keith Rainieri like shaking hands or whatever. And they're like, we're endorsed by the Dalai Lama. Like we're such an amazing, peaceful organization that like the Dalai Lama is into us. And the Dalai Lama's like, I don't know her. I don't know her. Uh, so this was in 2009. So also in 2009, there was a mass exodus of some of the higher ranking women in Nexium. They're referred to as the Nexium Nine. These nine women uh, were, because all of his closest confidants are women. These nine women were like heads of Nexium, and basically they had concerns because they all knew that he was fucking all of them. That he was being unethical, right? That they had concerns about unethical practices and alleged abuse of his leadership status to sexually manipulate women in the organization. Mm -hmm. They were like, it is a conflict of interest for you to say that you are like trying to help these women grow and that you're their teacher and their leader. And then like you're fucking them. Yeah. Like that's not okay. Yeah. And basically they wrote a letter that was like, we are like, here's the work that we've done for you that has been unpaid. Um, and we want you to like pay us for this work that we've done. And if you don't pay it, then we're going to go to the media and talk about like how you what are. you've been doing. Yeah. So with this information, uh, Keith Rainieri then told the people in Nexium like, OK, some stuff was brought up and like legitimate concerns. Like, I don't want to say that like people's feelings don't matter because people's feelings matter. But at but the end these of the day, people's feelings don't matter. They tried to blackmail us because they said that if we don't pay them this money, then they're going to go to the media with their problems. So at the end of the day, like whatever, they might have legitimate concerns. But the fact that they're blackmailing us means that like. They're going about it unethically, and we're going to oh sue them gosh. and not pay them. Oh, yes. my gosh. Okay. Now, mind you, one Ugh. of the big things about Nexium is that it's, it's yes, it's an MLM. What are they selling? It's a lot of, like, self-help and actualization classes, right? Of course it is. And one of the big things they talk about, so they do EMs, which are explorations of meaning. And EMs are very similar to audits from Scientology. Here's what they have in common, and here's what they have that's different, right? So it's basically their version of therapy. And when you hear that, like, the experience is therapeutic, in some ways you're like, okay, well, isn't it good that they're having this, like, release or whatever, that they're not holding on to these experiences but these are not being performed by therapists who are trained to like help you process that information and go through whatever it is that you're going through that is not what these people are trained to do with an audit in Scientology yes it's just you and your proctor but they're filming it so that they can filming it or recording the audio so that that information can be used against you later. In Nexium, they do these things called an exploration of meaning where it's the same thing like, okay, how do you feel about this thing? Okay, is there a memory attached to that? Let's talk about that. Close your eyes. What do you remember? That's the same thing in both of these instances. But in Nexium with EMs, they're generally done in rooms full of people. So there's like, there's witnesses, but it's not really about the witnesses. It's about this kind of like, this performative release of your 
emotions, right? So, like, if I'm talking to you and, like, I get you to talk about this big meaningful thing and what does that mean and what does that remind you of? Oh, you didn't realize it was tied to this memory from your childhood and we talk about all of that and now it doesn't have to mean anything anymore because we explored it together and you're crying and everybody's clapping for you and telling you what a good job you did, like, talking about your feelings. This, this manipulation of like dealing with people's feelings exposing them and like really using that vulnerability of like learning people's deep dark secrets or whatever these experiences are that makes people more vulnerable and it leads to trauma bonding like there is this bond between us but it isn't because of a real relationship it is because of this trauma that I've now exposed and unlike a real therapist where I can actually like work you through that and help you process that information we're just kind of like dipping into it and putting it on display for everybody and then we're all like clapping for and you we're all in this together right so a big thing about nexium and this is important because it's going to come up when we talk about dos which dos is like the sex slave inner circle yeah. is this idea and it made me think about this a little bit when galmarie was talking about what's wrong with the law of attraction right Mm. and this idea that like if something is going really badly like you've done that to yourself so that's huge in nexium right like your feelings are all like you produced your feelings you're happy because you decide to be happy and you don't have to get happiness from external things you decide to be happy so on the contrary if something terrible is happening and you feel really bad you're choosing to feel really bad Uh... you choose to feel that way right you could just choose to be happy, but you're, you've made the decision to feel bad, and that's why you feel bad. But you should take ownership and not be <laughs> – the word victim is thrown around a lot, and the word victim is very bad because if you're a victim, you've chosen to be a victim. Yeah. You've chosen to take it that way. As you can probably guess, this goes horribly, horribly wrong. Oh, Yeah, 100%. I don't see any scenario in which that could go right in any capacity. So we've got the women. We've got tons of women. All the women in his inner circle, he's always fucking, right? Like, that comes and goes. It's crazy he gets anything done. The man is always fucking. So (laughs) the thing about the fucking that's really wild, um, (laughs) to get into this, so my interest in this case recently right because i was like i want to rewatch this stuff about nexium i want to like think about what's what happened with dos is i did something i have never done before which is this week i actually dug so deep i was reading court transcripts yeah from the keith rainieri case just to better understand um the mindset of some of these women and particularly the person that stands out to me is lauren saltzman now i mentioned nancy saltzman that is who he co-founded the company with lauren saltzman is her older daughter and lauren was one of the there were only two or three women that gave testimony in keith ranieri's trial there were more women that could have been called um but lauren and a woman named daniela their testimony was so damning they really didn't need a lot of testimony from other women they had other evidence (laughs) they had piles of evidence but lauren is a person who i really just wanted to understand her mindset and we'll get into why so in 2015 that is when rainieri created the subsequent secret group of nexium which is dos dominus obsequious sororium which i've heard it translated a few ways but essentially it means like master over like slave women or submissive women right yeah 
And it was <laughs> it was a pyramid, but without the money part. What a scheme. So he was called the Grand Master of the Pyramid. He was the Grand Master of DOS. He had eight slaves underneath him. One of those slaves was Lauren Saltzman. One of them was Allison Mack, the actress from Smallville, who, when this happened, it was like, Smallville actress in Whoa. sex cult. That was Allison Mack. Nikki Klein, who is another actress I know primarily from Battlestar Galactica. But all of the people that were being recruited into DOS of course, were women. It was only women that were being recruited into DOS. Now, DOS was set up in such a way that, so he had the women that answered to him directly, but they were expected to each go and get six slaves of their own. Those slaves were not to know that Keith was involved in DOS whatsoever. So they were told, like, this is a women's group. And you know how, like, men have, like, the Shriners or, like, the Illuminati. Like, men have secret societies. This is a secret society that's for women. It's by women. Keith is not involved in any way. He doesn't know about it. It's just women. As, like, in the background, a portrait, you see the eye move out <laughs> Right, of the, the eyes way. are moving. It's just Keith, like, and behind Keith it. Keith looking, watching the whole thing. So the first members uh, were... I mentioned um, Allison Mack. We have Nikki Klein, Lauren Saltzman. Those are all important women. There's a woman named Daniela. Um, now, Daniela was the middle of three sisters. There's Mariana, Daniela, and Camila. And Keith Raniere was, you guessed it, having sex with all three all of, of them. All of them, yeah. Yes. At now, the same time? On and off, yes. Hmm. Yes. Now, the youngest of them, Camilla, when their relationship started, she was under 18. And when he first met her, um, she was a virgin. And there was this whole big thing in emails about him calling her VC, VC, which was Virgin Camilla. Right. I hate that. I hate that so much. It only, only gets worse. I want to make that really clear. So one of the things that I feel really bad about missing the first time around when I did this story, because this was so crucial and you had used the word earlier in the episode and I was like, remember that word? We're going to come back to it. And then I never did. And that word was collateral. So the women were collateralized. Now, what I mean by that is they were not only were they like led into this group under false pretenses, like, oh, it's this women's group. A lot of the way before they could get information, they had to give collateral. And collateral could be naked pictures. Collateral could be damning secrets from you or your family. If you had like any like, you know, my sister had an abortion and nobody knows. Right. Anything like that. Those could all essentially be used as collateral at first, but collateral, like... Can I just give him an expensive watch? So it was like, give me your naked pictures and I'll tell you more about DOS, right? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Yes. But they didn't know. They were constantly told, like, your pictures aren't going anywhere. Like, you're just giving it to me because I'm going to be your master and this is you showing me your commitment to me, right? First off, kids... If anyone asks you for sensitive information, nudie pics, don't give it to them. So the collateral, they would take that and then they would get to learn more about what was going on. But the idea is that the collateral committed them to the group. Because if you learned more and you were like, yeah, I don't want to be a part of this, they already had your collateral. So they could release that if you tried to leave the group. 
And it was always held over these women's head that like if they were trying to leave, that this was like, see, this is exactly why you need to stay. Because one of your issues is that you're always trying to give up on your commitments. You're always trying to back out of the things that you said you were going to do. And you said you were going to do this. So like if you're backing out of this, the idea is that the collateral would be so damning that the women would never leave. They would rather die than have that collateral released. Isn't that blackmail? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Ultimately, yes. So one of these women that I mentioned was Lauren Saltzman. Now, the reason that Lauren is particularly interesting to me is because her mom was the co-founder of Nexium, like founded Nexium with Keith. She met Keith when she was 20, 21 years old. So when her mother started the company, she was like off in Europe post-college, yeah. like with her friends. She came back. She had just finished school. She met this guy that her mom was doing business with, got a job working in her mom's company, moved up really, really quickly, got the attention of this guy. It made her feel really special and important because everybody was like, he's so smart. He's so important. And early in their knowing each other, they did have a sexual relationship. But as time went on, he just kept kind of holding weird shit over her and being like, she really wanted to have kids. And he was like, well, you know, do you really think you're ready to have kids? Because... You know, you don't seem to me like the kind of person who's committed, who's ready, who's able to take care of kids. And she valued his opinion. She listened to him. So if he thought she wasn't ready, sure. And basically she was waiting for him to give her a child. Like it was like, well, well, this thing that we're working on, like this is going to be another few years. Can you wait this many years before we start to have children? And to a point in their relationship was like, well, Would you stay if I didn't want to have children with you and didn't want to pursue a relationship? But would you stay with Nexium and stay with DOS because we're doing such important work? And the answer was yes. Like she just kept staying. And her testimony was like so heartbreaking because part and this is what I think is super important about cults is like you have to people have to understand like the mindset these people are in. One, nobody like just joins a cult. And two, like the uh, the word cult, right, is short for culture. You have to understand the culture that these people are in and the way that they've been trained. So her entire adult life, like this has been somebody that she's been told, like he's really smart. He's really ethical. Look like he's the to man him. to trust. Yeah. Right. He's the person who like he knows everything. So you should listen to Keith because Keith knows what's up. So part of that was when she was jo- when she was asked to join DOS, she was kind of like, oh, like. she's like oh like is this what keith wants is this like oh well if i anything that they objected to right they're being told like this is their issue so if she doesn't want to join dos it's like well that's your issue you're just not comfortable with your body you're just not comfortable with other women you don't know how to build these relationships that's Mm. your problem Mm. so ultimately she joined dos and one of the many many things that made these women kind of stand out was all of the women that were in dos were exceptionally thin some of them were, i mean many of them were already thin but being in dos part of that became like he was controlling their calorie intake he was telling people how much they could eat a day what? how much they were allowed to weigh oh yeah that oh. was a big thing a lot of the women in dos got to the point where they weren't having periods their hair was falling out like bad bad damage from not eating oh my god not eating not sleeping they were forced to do a lot of what were called readiness drills so anytime anytime that they received a message it could be in the middle of the night they were expected to respond within a minute 
And like they had to respond within a minute and then pass it down the line and hear back from their slaves within a minute. If people failed readiness drills, it was usually punished with paddling. What? Yes. So the brand. So the brand is a thing that came up. Ultimately, 18 women were branded in DOS. So the first line slaves and some of their slaves. This made headline news when it was brought forth by Sarah Edmondson who I talked about a lot the first time that I covered this story. Um, But she is kind of who brought the attention in because she was the first woman to come out publicly about her branding. So women had said they were branding, but nobody would go on the record. Mm -hmm. And she was the first woman to come out on the record and say, I was branded as part of this cult. It's a cult. Like everybody get out. Yeah. So initially the women were told that the symbol that they were being branded with was they were told a few different things. One of it was that it was a symbol for the elements, different. There's all kinds of different bullshit. But in reality, it's Keith Raniere's initials. That's what these women were branded with. But it's like a sigil that's made in such a way where like it's turned sideways and they're kind of like smooshed together and it's Keith Rainier's initials. But women were not told that. They were told, like... Yeah, it's a mountain with a stream mountain, going it's the through sky. Right. Like, it's a measure of these things. So, for the branding ceremony, part of it was that they had, one, they had to ask to be branded. Uh, they had to say, like, Master, will you brand me? It would be an oh. honor. Mm-hmm. And then they would have to... Um, even though they were, quote, unquote, consenting... Which we're using that word, but it really like, can you really consent when you've been coerced? Yes. Um, And when you don't know all the information. But after doing that, they would then have to be held down for their branding. So they had they were all branded naked and they were all filmed and they would have to lay naked with their hands above their head, their feet down and somebody holding their hands, somebody holding their feet so that they didn't jerk too much oh. during the branding. So that was terrible enough, right? And once Sarah went public with her branding, like people really started to like drop out. And Sarah and her husband, whose name is Nippy, it's not his real name, but that's what he goes by, but I love it. Sarah and Nippy. Um, but Sarah and Nippy were like, they were like the like not the faces of the group, but like they were really big in Nexium and they were like a power couple in Nexium. Like people knew who Sarah and Nippy were. Mm-hmm. So once Sarah and Nippy left and started to talk about DOS and like their experiences that is when like the shitstorm kind of started to go and the government had to move in with their case with what they had wow and they had a lot of stuff so um lauren talked about her time but one of the big things that happened and i mentioned this briefly before but i will go into it a lot today is that part of all of the things that happened and of all the slaves all the shit that went down one of the worst things that I heard about them doing was there was a woman that they kept in captivity for two years. Oh, I remember you talking about that. So that was a woman I mentioned earlier. Her name was Daniela. She was the middle of the three sisters that he was having sex with all three of them. Now, Daniela basically had like offended Keith by having an attraction to a guy who wasn't Keith. That was Daniela's ethical breach. Oh, my God. Now, mind you, Daniela was not allowed to tell anybody that she was having sex with Keith. So she couldn't tell people, like, why Keith was actually mad at her. But everyone knew that Keith was mad at her. And if Keith was mad at her, she must have done something really, really horrible. Ugh. 
And she needed to work on that. And part of her needing to work on that was that she needed to stay in her room until she could figure out a way to undo it, to fix it, to make wow. it better. She was given food, but food was like her family would leave the food outside the door, knock on the door and walk away. So nobody was allowed to talk to her. Uh, the only person who ever really did at any point talk to her was Lauren Saltzman. But Lauren Saltzman was there basically to interrogate her, to ask her, well, what are you going to do to fix it? Well, what, how are you going to fix it? Now, mind you, nobody knew what it was that she did. Everyone just knew that she, Keith said she had some horrible ethical breach <laughs> and that she needed to fix it. And everyone was just supposed to keep asking her, like, how are you going to fix it? Well, how are you going to fix it? Now, I read... Instead of being like, girl, what'd you do? What'd you do? I read Lauren's testimony and Daniela's testimony. So Daniela did test testify at trial yeah. and talk about her experience of being for her. kept in a room for two years. Now, a big thing of that was that there weren't locks on the door. And they're like, well, why didn't Daniela leave? So Daniela was an immigrant. Her whole family had immigrated to come, like, work with Nexium. Her parents, like, everybody, her whole family literally was there. All of her family was listening to Keith, who told them, like, don't talk to her. Uh, don't treat her this way. Yeah. Being an immigrant, she had come legally on a visa, but her visa expired. So since her visa expired, she was in the country illegally. And when she was being kept in that room, they took her documents. They took everything. So she had no documentation. She had no identification. She was here illegally anyway. But even if, like... She had she had nothing to prove who she was, where she came oh. from. She had no money. She had no way to take care of herself. And they asked her if she had ever left her room, like in the two years that she was trapped there. And she said that in the two plus years she was in that room, there were le like less than 10 times did she leave that room without people knowing her. And the most that she did was like everyone was gone. They were at class or whatever. Like, she left her room, and she went outside, and she just, like, breathed in I some of the outside there. air. And she was like, what if I just left? And then she thought about, like, I have no money. I have no identification. I'm here illegally. Where am I going to go? Uh, right. That and hurts my heart. She was in her early 20s. She had been doing the program since she was, like, 17. So she was also indoctrinated. So she was really convinced, like, if Keith thinks I've done something really terrible... I must have done something really, really terrible. Mm. And she kind of believed that she deserved to be there. Aww. Some of the other stories that came out from different victims included, like, even if women didn't, when I say have sex, like, a lot of them had sexual contact with Keith Raniere, even if he didn't, like, penis and vagina have sex with them. Sure. Right? But there were a lot of instances of, like, if women didn't want to do something, they were told, like, this is your issue. Like, you're uncomfortable with your body. We're just trying to get through your body issues. Like, this is just a sign that you really need this work. You, you really have need this a help. weird oral fixation. And if you don't put my penis in your mouth, then how is God going to heal you? You're not terribly far off, except God wasn't a part God of it. God wasn't a part Then right. how can I help heal you? Right. Uh, so, like... A lot of it is just really, really, it's Gross. so awful. Right. On June 19th of 2019, the jury found Ranieri guilty on all charges after five hours of deliberation. Here's what Ranieri was found guilty of. Sexual exploitation of a child and possession of child pornography with regard to the minor victim, Camilla. Yeah. Danielle's younger sister. 
sex trafficking of Nicole, who Nicole was like a slave of a slave. Further down the line, she also testified at the trial. Identity theft against Edgar Bronfman, James Loperfito, Ashana Chinoa, Mariana, which is Danielle's older sister, and Pam Kafritz, who Pam was dead by the time they used, they stole her identity after she died. Oh. But she was one of um she was one of Keith's girlfriends. And Pam was one of the girlfriends that like was in on everything. So like if people would have a fight with Keith and Keith didn't want to talk to them, Pam would be like, Why are you doing this to Keith? Why are you making him feel like this? Don't you understand like how your actions affect Keith and the grander thing? Like Pam was Pam would have been like, yes, please steal my identity. So Daniela, before she was locked in the room, like her job for a long time was identity theft. Like she had she learned how to use computers and how to code and how to hack because those were all things that Nexium wanted her to do so that she could like hack into the identities of their enemies like Edgar Bronfman, like these people. Wow. Daniela hacked those accounts. Um, trafficking for labor and services of Daniela which Daniela was who they kept trapped in the house, forced labor of Nicole, who was one of the the slaves, conspiracy to alter records for use in an official proceeding, sex trafficking conspiracy, forced labor conspiracy, racketeering conspiracy, and wire fraud conspiracy. Wow, that's a lot. All of those were around, like, so they crossed people across state lines explicitly for him to have sex with them or some sort of sexual contact. There were slaves. I think Nicole is the one that she described a story where, like, Keith took her somewhere, blindfolded her, and laid her down, and someone performed oral sex on her. She did not know who it was. That was done as part of, like, DOS. So India Oxenberg, who I mentioned earlier, in the recording of The Vow, so The Vow follows Sarah Edmondson a lot, and we see Catherine Oxenberg, who Catherine Oxenberg... She was on Dynasty, like the original Dynasty, but also she comes from real royalty. Like her mother is a princess, um, but she was an actress like in the 80s. And now she just kind of like hangs out and does whatever. Um, But her daughter, India Oxenberg, was in this cult. So they are following Sarah, but Sarah talks to Catherine a lot because they are still talking about how India is actively in the cult. And they're trying to, like, get India out, right? Now, India is one of Allison Mack's slaves. So following the vow, like, the vow ended, and I talked about this other thing that was on Stars, and Stars is seduced, like, inside the Nexium cult. So that one actually follows India. So India, unlike Allison Mack or Nikki Klein or some of the other women that did end up staying, even, like, still are following Keith to this day, I think that he's, like, in prison wrongfully india came out of it once he got arrested and she was like thank god right she was like "Mm," like she was kind of starting to put pieces together she's like i think i was in a cult so seduced is india's account of like her experience in the cult and like the things that happened to her um but one of the things is that she was able to provide um, evidence because she had a USB that she didn't even know she had. She just kind of found it after leaving the cult and going through all her shit. Um, one of the big things was that like they had told all these women that Keith was not involved in DOS and that he didn't design the branding. Like the women designed it in like an homage to him, but he wasn't really involved in that. And this USB proved 
that that was a lie. This USB had the audio recording of the meeting where he was with the women planning what the brand would look like. Oh. So he was in on, and of he course. was like, yeah, like, you know, they were like, oh, K-R, like I see it. And he's like, K-A-R, like my middle initial. Like, they're all in there. Like, <laughs> symbol. So there was Ugh. like, her, she was able to help deliver this like whopping blow of evidence. Like, yeah. he knew. He knew everything all along. So on top of that, there are like women who, a lot of women in his life, if he didn't sue the shit out of them, some of them died. Um, we talked about Pam, Pam K. Fritz. They, her and a woman named Barbara Jeske, they both were diagnosed with cancer at the same time. But um, it's alleged that they might have been poisoned, like that it was read as cancer, but it may have actually been poisoning. Aww. And one of those women, like I said, was Pam K. Fritz. And that was the woman who defended him yeah. against everything. And she was, it was always like, why are you doing this to Keith? Why are you doing this to Keith? So that's like wild to think about. In uh, one of his previous partners, Kristen Keefe, she survived cervical cancer. In 2009, Rainieri was filmed claiming, I've had people killed because of my beliefs. That was one of the things he said to, like, the Nexium 9 when they were all talking about, like, you're unethical and you're inappropriate. And, and there has been, like, some speculation about, like, what he meant by that. Like, did he mean, like, I've had people killed? Like, I've purposefully like ordered asked killed, yeah. or like people have died because they followed me like what exactly did that statement mean in 2019 investigation discovery aired a documentary titled the lost women of nexium speculating that rainieri committed homicide according to that program a woman lived with rainieri and developed bladder cancer submitted a hair sample that reportedly revealed the evidence of dangerous levels of bismuth and barium so Maybe. Maybe he also poisoned women. Honestly, with his uh, rap sheet, I wouldn't be surprised. The last thing that happened with it is in January of 2020, Rainieri and several other Nexium individuals were named as defendants in a civil lawsuit in federal court by 80 former Nexium members. Wow. The lawsuit details allegations of fraud and abuse and charges the Nexium organization with being a pyramid scheme, exploitation of its recruits, conducting illegal human experiments and making it physically and psychologically difficult and in some cases impossible to leave the coercive community. Wow. Oh, I'm so glad he got put away. I'm glad he got put away. Um, it's infuriating. Oh, yeah. But at minimum. One of the things I want to talk about, because all of the people that get out of cults are all like, how did I find myself in a cult? Because mm -hmm. nobody tries to join a cult. That's not what people go out looking for. Unfortunately, one of the things I've come to notice is I was like, shit, that could be me. A lot of times the people that join cults are people that really want to do something good. Yeah. Something big and something good to change the world. Like they all see like there's trouble in the world today and I want to help fix that. Even the cults that we are like, I can't stand this. Like we talked about the sanctuary church. Even though we radically disagree with their belief system and like how they go about it, the idea is they all join because they see this problem in the world and they want to help wanna. fix it. So that's something that I notice about the people that want to join a cult. So 
What is a cult? According to Merriam-Webster, a cult is both the great devotion to a person, idea, object, movement, or work, and as a religion regarded as unorthodox or spurious. The U.S. keeps no log of every alleged cult in the country, um, but there are up to 10,000 cults currently in existence. I believe it. I hate that. <laughs> but um, so there's a guy named Steve Hassan who um, he if you're really into cults like we are and you watch a lot of cult documentaries, you'll see a few of the same like cult experts kind of yes. start to pop up in different places. Rick Ross is the guy I feel like I see the most like he's everywhere. Um, there's Dr. I want to say Yana Ilrich. She shows up a lot. But there's also this guy, Steve Hassan. And almost all of them are people who they previously were in a cult at some point in time, got, got out, out of the cult. And then they were like, how did I end up in a cult? And they spend the rest of their lives like working to like keep people out of cult. Yep. So Stephen Hassan says that what differentiates a benign cult from a destructive cult, um, which are the ones you really need to watch out for. Uh, there are healthy cults in the sense that you know what you're getting into. He explains, saying this could apply to the followers of the Grateful Dead, for example. <laughs> like, they followed the Grateful Dead around the country, but they were, like, you know, harmless. Like, yeah. they weren't really going to really hurt anybody. Those are cults that don't try to control who you talk to and what you read. They answer your questions honestly, and you're free to leave if that doesn't work for you. So, destructive cults are dishonest from the beginning, like, they lure you in. <laughs> he says, you might think you're getting a free dinner, Hassan says. Or, as with Nexium, you're learning a self-help technique. You don't realize that the goal is to get you to sign up for, like, the next thing. Like, they're you're constantly just going about to see a, da a ballet dance movement from pre-communist China. Or, like, a like an MLM. Like, they're very quick to, like, oh, you Little like this party. product? You know you could sell this product, too? Like, they're trying to, like recruit you really really quickly like that's super super important know the warning signs of the cult so they talk about the bite model so the bite uh b stands for behavior control so they tell you like how to be they try to like help you figure out they try to tell you like what should be in your physical reality they dictate where to be they tell you who you can marry who you can have sex with um talking about controlling your food they control your sleep uh, the types of clothing you can wear, the hairstyle you wear. Too much. All of that stuff Too much. Is, is behavior control. So that's the first part, right? And they discourage individualism. Like, you want to think like us. We're also, we have this great thing in mind. I've mind. That's the first part. The next part, the I, is information control. So deliberately withholding information, like they won't be completely transparent with you. It's very much need-to-know basis. Like you can only get that information when you get like higher up. They also discourage you from getting your information outside of the cult. Um, don't get your news from these other sources. Like it's really of important course. that you stick with the party line. They tell you which magazines, which internet. They tell you like where to get your information from and discourage you to get it from other people, particularly anyone that disagrees with the information that they're giving you. The T is for thought control. Uh, it requires members to internalize the group's doctrines as truth. One of the big things about cults, and this was with Daniela was a great example of this, is it gets to a point where like they don't really have to keep you. You know what I mean? Like they 
break you down enough that you impose those things on yourself. Mm -hmm. Nobody really has to be there to make you do it because you've already been indoctrinated and you hold that information. They have their own um, language, their own cliches. Like a lot of times they have their own vocabulary. There was a lot of really particular vocabulary in Nexium, but in all cults, they have their own vocabulary. Um, using hypnotic techniques to alter mental states, undermine critical thinking. And a lot of this goes into um, emotion, but that's going to come up with the E. Uh, the E is emotional control. So we talked about like those big explorations of emotion mm -hmm. where, you know, it's the auditing in Scientology. It's the exploration of meaning in Nexium, But those ways where they like manipulate your feelings and your emotions based on your trauma. Like they will try and bring up big emotional experiences to kind of facilitate this bonding, this trauma bonding for you to feel like you've bonded with these people because your emotions were really, really heightened. Um, but they promote a lot of feelings of guilt within yourself, like wanting so that you want to do better, quote unquote. Um, but they define what that means to do better. Mm -hmm. They're the ones that define like what your growth is. And particularly if like the good things that happen to you are from the organization and the bad things that happen to you are because of your own choices and wanting to leave. Of course. So on the outside, it sounds like it's super easy to tell what a cult is, but there are so many of them and it's a lot. Of, it's really I feel like when I the more you look at them, the more you're like, that's a cult. That's a fucking cult. That's a cult. Like, I kind of feel like everything is a cult. You have days. to, yeah, you have to be selective, I guess, or just don't like, pick a destructive out. cult. Yeah, but of course, another big one is like a leader, right? Mm -hmm. Like they're all bonded to this leader. This leader can do no wrong. Only this person has all the answers, and everybody has to do what this person thinks. Their way or the highway. Yeah. That's a huge. That's a huge one right there. So just keep your fucking. That's eye a out. big tell. Fact check the cult leader. Fact check the person who's in charge. Are you allowed to disagree with that person? Are you allowed to question what that person has to say? And more than anything, be aware of your own vulnerability. Like, we're all people. Don't think, like, I'm too smart for a cult or, like, because lots of smart They'll people. They'll never get me. Right. They would never get me because I would never be somebody who would be in a cult. Uh, by the way, would you like to buy a Herbalife shake? And right now, between the pandemic and economic pressures, everybody is super vulnerable, according to Stephen Hassan. The only way to protect people is by educating people. I've long been guilty. This is the per like this is somebody else who wrote this. I've long been guilty of thinking I'm too smart to get sucked into a cult myself. But after almost an hour of speaking with Hassan, I realized something. If someone promised to protect my family and I from the virus, from violence, from all of modern society's looming threats, and all I had to do was follow their directions, would I maybe possibly consider attending an affordable information session? I'm not sure, but I'm wearing this tinfoil hat just in case. That's fair. Do you have your tinfoil hat? <laughs> I don't have a tinfoil hat. Oh, they're so easy to make. It's true. I, you know, I rely on my on my hoodoo and witchery. The word of God. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I rely on the moon and like my period blood or whatever. Won't he do it? Won't he do it? <laughs> So that was my revisit to Ooh. Nexium to further explore, like, really, like, how horrible the situation was. To further make us feel icky about what these people did. About what these about people what did. About what Keith Rainieri did. And to just remember, like, cults are very much still a thing. Like, I feel like we think about cults and, like, 
as in the past. The cult in the past. And Nexium, I was like, oh my gosh, it's so new. But there are tons of cults. Like QAnon is a cult. I talked about QAnon. Like everything that we've talked about in the this episode and the previous episode are all current. Well, cults. and I talked about this. You um talked about Gwen Chamblin. That's still um, a few relevant. weeks ago. I talked about Shin Yun. Like That's cults, relevant. cults are everywhere. They're uh kind of all over the place. And it would be foolish of me to convince myself that I am too smart or too advanced or too elevated in any capacity to be tricked into doing something based on good things I wanted to do in the world. I would never. Um, I would never try and improve things. Before we leave here, remind me to give you my new uh, this month's Avon book. Oh, and then you need me to give that to three people, right? Yeah. If you could just, I'm going to give you the stack of the new Avon catalogs. And if you could just pass those out to all your people at your work, that would be really great. They can place an order through me. (laughs) So, um, I don't want some Avon. I hope you don't mind that I, that I just, you know, kind of redid a previous story, but I really wanted to like like the deep dive. Right. I was like, I really wanted to dive deeper. And there, like I said, there's just so much there. Um, I don't know if I want to learn any more about Keith Rainier and what he did. It makes me feel sad and gross enough as it is. It's rough. That he's just such a horrible person. And, well, the other thing, too, is, like, (laughs) the you you can tell a lot about, like, the directions these documentaries went in. And what I liked about The Vow is as much as, like, obviously I can't stand Keith Rainier and he's a horrible person and the things that he did are awful. But The Vow... I think did a really good job of kind of like, you can see how these people were sucked in. Right. Yeah. And they show you like the version of Keith that brought them in. Do you know what I mean? And they have so much footage. He had people film him talking yeah. all of the course. time because they were so convinced he was just spewing important shit constantly. So they filmed so much of what he had to say. And Mark Vicente, who is a filmmaker, he is a big part of the vow and he was in Nexium for a long time. He's a filmmaker who recorded a lot of what Rainieri was talking about. So they have a lot of footage where they were able to show kind of like, this is the Keith Rainieri that like brought them in. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Versus there are other documentaries that I've watched about it from, you know, Hulu, CBS, whatever, where like they really showed him as like, this creepy, like, wannabe, like, sex guru, like, showing him laying in bed with no shirt on all the time. Nice. <laughs> like, that kind of shit where you were like, yes. you watch that and you're like, how could anybody ever listen to what this fucker had to say? But that's what I like about The Vow is The Vow kind of gives you, like, the image that these people had of him yeah. before that led them into thinking, like, he's so noble, he's so ethical, he's so I'll smart, he's so brilliant. I'll follow this guy, yeah. Right. But Ooh. it's all about perspective and hindsight's twenty twenty. Well, it's actually 2022. No, the year is 2022. What? Hindsight is 2020. That's the phrase. I don't know. All right. That's what it, it is. Okay. That's it. That's that it. We're like done. You're in a cult. So, yeah, I want to thank you for supporting our podcast. Thank, thank you, you so much. much for listening. You can support us by going to our Patreon, by going to our website. We are Dead Time Stories <laughs> everywhere, all one word with a Z. Email us at deadtimestories at gmail.com. And, of course, what we really, really want you to do more than anything is to give us a five-star review on iTunes and on Spotify. You can do that now. Yeah. Five-star reviews everywhere. Log in with all your different emails. Tell your friends. That's it. I'm done. That's it. We're done. Until next week. We'll be back next week. And you know what? If you're lucky, 
We'll talk about something besides cults. I and, don't know. Maybe we'll you do know, if you're lucky, we might still talk about cults because they're fucking fascinating. It's but, our show and, not, and yours. not yours. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Sarah. And this has been Dead Time Stories. Thank you for listening. Dead Time Stories is hosted by Sarah Heddens and Stephanie C. Ferguson. Music and editing by Eric Gershnow. Artwork by Rennie Slackman. 